All right. You want to move on to our, our movie? Yeah. I did also forget to mention there's one other movie. The movie that I literally just finished right before. Mm. I didn't mention it, but it was The Naked Gun. It was funny. Oh. Have you never seen it before? I've never seen that or Airplane. It was, it was really funny. <laughs> it is a silly film. It is a very... I think the part that made me laugh the hardest was when... It, this, this is when I realized that this movie does what other comedy movies tried to do, but much better, where Leslie Nielsen like, parks his car outside of the police station or whatever and runs over garbage cans, and you're like, okay, the airbag goes off, and he's like sidestepping the airbag to get out of the car. And you're like, okay, this is where another comedy movie would just stop. But Leslie Nielsen gets out of the car. The other airbag goes off and lifts the parking brake and the car goes down the street and he almost gets hit by it. So then he shoots at the car because everyone's screaming and the trunk catches fire for some reason and it explodes and it goes down the street and everyone's screaming. And Leslie Nielsen's like, did anyone get the license plate numbers? (laughs) It's one of my favorite comedy opening scenes, too. With all the the Middle Eastern <laughs> leaders, you can never make that scene today. But it's. I also really like the opening, the title credits, where it's just the police siren going, because <laughs> it's one of those things where it lasts long enough to where it starts to get unfunny, and then funny again. Because when it's going through the house, I'm like, okay, this is dumb. But then after that, it goes on a roller coaster. Have you seen the Family Guy parody of that I opening scene? Actually, no. Because it's. Uh... That's pretty fun. A parody of a parody. That's interesting. Family Guy's parodied uh, The Naked Gun once or twice, I think. Mm. But I haven't seen that show since before high school. So Same. Anyway, we have a movie. Who wants to introduce it? Howl's Moving Castle. It is a 2004 Japanese animated fantasy film written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Miyazaki, we've talked about him once or twice. Everyone mm-hmm. knows we really like Porco Rosso. I'm really big on Spirited Away. Chandler's not as much. but Well, I like it. I like yeah. it fine. We both like him as a director. Yeah. I, well, I just want to bring this up because I didn't think about this until recently, but I, I would definitely put him in like my top three or five directors. Not because he's made, just because the movies that I really love from him are unlike anything I've ever seen. And they're some of my favorite movies in general. Those yeah. being Totoro, Mononoke, and Porco Rosso. So when he he's really on, it's incredible. But then when he's not, you get Howl's Moving Castle. <laughs> oh, no. So this <laughs> film is loosely based off of a 1986 novel by the same name uh, by a British author. And it is, it's like all the other Ghibli Miyazaki films. It's animated beautifully. It has many of Miyazaki's tropes and reoccurring imagery. And I find this to be one of the more controversial films in his filmography. And I have seen this a few times before. And this is Chandler's first time. So Chandler, what did you think of Howl's Moving (sighs) Castle? It's probably my least favorite Miyazaki Mm. movie that I've seen. Mm. It's one of those things where I love the things that it does well. I'm just amazed at like the creativity behind a lot of the the more absurd visuals. Uh, I think the world design is very nice. It incorporates like fantasy and modern technology together really well. It's got his, you know, love for aviation and stuff like that. It's like every Ghibli movie thrown into one. But what kills this movie is that it makes no goddamn sense in a way that just frustrates me. Spirit of the Way is sort of has the same problem for me, but I can understand what's going on in Spirit of the Way. 
in Spirited Away is one of those movies that every time I see it, I like it a little bit more. This movie started out really strong. And by the end, I was just like, get it over with, please. I was done. I was done with it. Are, are you aware that Miyazaki doesn't really script and he... Yes. He writes that. through storyboards. Yeah, yeah. And he kind of just goes, makes it up as he goes along. Mm-hmm. And I think that serves him well in some cases. And in other cases, it doesn't. And I think Hell's Moving Castle is the best example of when it wouldn't work well in that he's adapting something that's not his own material yeah. and what he is doing. And it is only loosely adapt adapted and what he is trying to say and do with this film. There's too much. Way and too much. Kind of gets lost in the sauce. There are individual scenes that I love in this film that, there's a lot I love about this movie. Let me say this. The first half of this film, I, I love. It's up until the point where the the war really starts this encroaching. War. This war. That oh. it kind of... It, I wouldn't say it doesn't make sense because I understand what's going on. It's interesting how like though there's a line about the prince that has been kidnapped from the other land. Mm-hmm. And it happens very early in the film but a character in the background whispers it to another character. And if you don't hear it, you have almost no setup for the ending of the, of the film. And there's stuff like that where setup and payoff wasn't quite there. And that kind of compounded the, the errors yeah. of having too much to, to do in the film. Honestly, if, if the film just didn't bother explaining anything about the war. Like the war was just a background element and yeah. it was more about the relationship, which I think like Porcaroso. Yeah. And I think Miyazaki was like torn between those two things and he shouldn't have been, he should have chosen the dynamic between Howell and Sophie and made a film about that made a film about Sophie being turned into old woman yeah. and finding her youth again and get rid of, have this war be a background element that is, doesn't need to be explained, but it's in the film so much that it needs to be explained and it's not explained. I think the the biggest problem for me about this thing is that I feel like the characters are very inconsistent. Sophie in the beginning is like a completely different character than Sophie as an old woman for the complete middle act. When Hal's introduced in the beginning where she takes Sophie flying, I'm thinking, okay, he's like cool, mysterious, calm, but with a dark, you know, uh, a dark secret, dark side to him. But then later on in the movie, when we see more of Howell, he's not that at all. He's just a he's a he's a man child. He's a big baby. And he turns into this annoying little brat. And the moment that the movie lost me is when Sophie goes in to see the Empress or whatever. Who, the Queen. Suleiman. Suleiman. Yeah, she goes to see Suleiman and Suleiman starts talking about Howell um, and saying like, oh, he was a great wizard, whatever. And he quit wizarding. And at that point, I'm like, oh, how's the bad guy? And then they're like, no, Sophie's in love with him. Suleiman's the bad guy. We got to stop Suleiman. So I'm like, okay, then. But if Hal did all this stuff, then how is he the good guy? And then it just becomes this really weird, like, third act where she's trying to stop a war and she's trying to lift her curse, but she's also trying to be in love with Hal, despite I never thought they really had much of a connection until the end. And then there's there's some things that I kind of like, but I don't understand, like, how 
the severity of Sophie's curse just kind of changes each scene. I'm sure there's a reason for that, but sometimes she's a little scraggly old hunchback woman, and sometimes she's just a young woman with white hair. And I'm sure there's a reason for that, but there's so much to this where I'm like, you're so vaguely getting at something, but there's so much that you're so vaguely getting at that I don't even want to try to decipher it. But then I, the more I think about it, I'm like, there's not much to decipher. He just didn't know where the story was going. The amount of aging on Sophie is supposed to be directly related to how old she is feeling at the moment. Like, it's tied to her feelings about okay. herself. At least that is what I have derived from the intention of intentions of Miyazaki. Because it's not particularly clear and it's not particularly consistent. No. But after many watchings, that's the the only thing that makes sense to me is like that is probably what it was going for because there's a moment when she's talking with Suleiman and she stands up to her mm -hmm. and talks about how and you can see that she likes him at this moment she kind of fades in that conversation into a younger self and I think that's the one telling point in the film where you're like okay this is what he was trying to get at something like this but there are like little changes like you were saying in her the way that she's drawn, that she looks a little younger in some shots, a little older in other shots, and it's not really connected at any other time in the film. Yeah. But I know, like, I get the feeling that that's the root, like, what he was going for, but it doesn't come across at all. Here's the thing with Sophie and that speech with Suleiman is she's talking about, like, Howell is, is a kind person, and she's defending Howell. And at this point in the film, I don't get the sense that they know each other all that well. No. And it, I don't think it was earned. I give I give these kind of movies a little bit of leeway. If it's like a fantasy or like a, a fairy tale type movie, okay, if you can fall in love in a week in these kind of movies, I get it. But in this, where the only time she has spent with Hal is being told to clean up and stuff like that, and she showed no interest in him before this moment, it's just it makes me feel like he's trying to do everything at once. And a huge part of it too is the. Uh, when I say that this is every Ghibli movie mashed into one, I mean, it's got the cute little fantasy world and little creatures of Spirited Away. It's got the weird, like, modern militaristic elements of, like, Porco Rosso, but it also has that integration of the fantasy and the reality that, like, Totoro does. Mm -hmm. And it has this weird political message like Mononoke does. But it does all those things so poorly all at once. And, like, the and then it has, like, Kiki's delivery service where she's just an old woman cook, uh, cleaning. Yeah. And like, Which, ironically, those are my favorite parts. Well, the, okay, I will say this. My favorite character in this whole movie is Calcifer. I love Calcifer. He's my fave. But, like, okay, so, comparison one. Porco Rosso. Did you watch the dub? Just sorry, I need to I did watch that. the dub, yes. Okay. I've With never Billy seen Crystal. a Ghibli sub, now that I think about it. Um, Porco Rosso, the comparison. Like, Porco is cursed, because he's kind of a womanizer. He's kind of pig-headed, whatever. I get it. It's That's metaphorical. It's metaphorical. There's a flaw that the curse is representing. What is Sophie's flaw? I thought she was cursed just because the witch was trying to get back at Howl. Yes, but it's supposed to be ironic because she's kind of this dull young woman who doesn't really have much uh, hope for the future. Like she's just, oh, I'm fine with the hat shop. She's not really aspiring to anything. So if she doesn't have much hope for the future, she's turned into an old woman and it's ironic because old. <laughs> See, I understand it, but it's it's because I've been thinking about it and trying to understand it on a level that's beyond the filmmaking itself. Okay. 
Oh, see, as soon as I as soon as I stopped watching, I'm like, eh, whatever. It's not like Spirit of the Way. Spirit of the Way, when I saw it, I'm like, OK, there's something here. I need to figure it out. This I was just like, what is I can't I don't even know where to start. It's just a huge whiteboard of ideas. And I don't know. See, I really love the beginning. The first act of this film, I think, is great. It works. It doesn't necessarily work when you compare it to the rest of the film because it doesn't set no. any of that up. But I think that has more to do with the rest of the film in the way that Miyazaki writes as he goes along. So I don't think you can point to the beginning as having an issue, more as he just kind of added stuff as he went along. Yeah. The beginning, like the the setup of Sophie being cursed as an old woman, is great. And the first couple moments, scenes of her being old, I find really funny and charming. And it's a unique dynamic from Miyazaki's perspective and from just cinema in general like we don't have like an old a young woman being cursed as an old woman i feel like that's that's interesting it is interesting and the miyazaki has this charming way of making his characters they're always very relatable and there's when sophie first gets turned into an old woman and she's like going in and out of the house kind of hobbling it's just that's nice and then uh when she gets up in the morning she like slowly fall like gets up off the bed she says up we go it's like an old woman like she's like this fun kind of old woman and it doesn't necessarily follow from who she was before to as an old person like i don't necessarily think the character was strong in between those two points but i found it charming and it was simple in the beginning and i think it's up until the suleiman part is when things start to get a little wonky and also, the other scene that I, I re- that really stuck out to me this time was when Hal gets his hair dyed orange and he starts crying like a man baby because his hair. And then he says, I can't live anymore if I can't be beautiful. I'm like, this seems like an important character thing that never is. No, and then Sophie, Sophie is like, I've never been beautiful. And then I think, OK, is this going to be like a sort of inner beauty, outer beauty type? story and then that gets dropped as well well it is and it isn't like this movie is so much thematically (laughs) it's too much but i see i see the through line there the through line of like saving how from himself and the the, yeah that's exactly calcifer and all that yeah that's exactly why i could see is somebody who saw this as a as a as a kid would love it because it there's a lot of really interesting stuff visually and a lot of cute little character moments and then maybe as a kid, you won't really think about how those all connect. You're just like, oh, this is the part where the castle gets split in half. Oh, this is the part where she has the little dog and the witch gets fatter. And I can see how a kid would love it. But as an adult, I'm just like, what is going on? <laughs> what? Why? One of my favorite moments from the, the second half of the film, to add some positivity to this is I think the the Witch of the Waste is the only character that seems consistent throughout the entire film. Yes. Yeah. And her moment of realizing that Calcifer has Hal's heart and grabbing it, I felt that was that, that yeah. followed through correctly from the beginning. And that was, was probably the part in the, the final act where it's like, oh, I'm feeling something for this I character. It's fucking weird. It's just trying to, it's just this old woman trying to get at Hal's heart. <laughs> And it's kind of it's it's weird and it's kind of charming and it's sad. 
You know, you know what the ending bit made me think of when Sophie goes back to that door and goes back to Hal's childhood, and then mm. she falls to the stars. The only, I was thinking of your name the whole time. Very different films. And then I thought I much prefer your name to this. Okay, thank you. One of these days, I'm <laughs> gonna have you uh, rewatch that because <laughs> I I would rewatch. I own it. I fucking bought it because you praised it so highly. Well, your your three star review on Letterboxd is emotional terrorism for me. <laughs> we'll do a double feature. Well, I was okay. I was gonna say double feature. I'll make you watch Night is Short again, but you but you like Night is Short, so no, that makes no sense. I suppose I can also say that I watched Talisman and Castle when I was younger, so I do have a little fondness for it from that stuck around. But every time I watch it, it just gets a little more wonky. It's a wonky film, like it's at the end wonky. where where Calcifer and the house like falls apart and just kind of like plopping around. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a good visual metaphor for the film. It's just plomping around wherever it goes, and it's about to but fall apart at any moment. Th- th- there's so many little details in this movie. I love. I love Calcifer. I love the little portal that opens to different worlds. I love the look of the castle and how it looks like a giant frog. I love the way that the little planes, the like weird helicopter single person planes. Mm-hmm. I love that Howl turns into a giant screeching hawk, uh, but. Ugh. God, I don't even want to try to make sense of it all. Christian Bale also does the Batman voice before the Batman voice existed, which I thought I'm was funny. Batman. <laughs> I'm Hell's Roof <Roman> Castle. <laughs> I love the that, little that's dog. That's the crossover we need. Hell's Moving Castle goes to Gotham City. Oh no. The, just one door. It's, it's, it's got the four colors, and then there's like a bat symbol that he turns to. Opens right there. Wonderful. Yeah, Hal was such a, as a character. Is probably the least memorable character in the whole movie for me, because there so much of this movie. Like at first, they set him up as like mysterious. I'm like, oh, is this gonna be like a one of those things where they start to bond? But Hal's gone for most of this movie. It's just people talking shit about Hal behind his back. I find it charming, really messy, really like. I've talked before. We've talked about before on this podcast about messy films. This is probably the messiest film that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, but I, I just find like else. Miyazaki and his directing is just so charming that I can actually watch this film and find enjoyment out of it. Like I don't dislike this film in any way. I don't think it's a I'm good movie. Bordering on dislike. Okay. But and I can there's... understand that as someone who's watching it for the first time now. He but the thing is, he is so charming, and the things that are I do like, I love. So it's hard to say that I hated it or disliked it, but it's easily my least favorite. It's funny because the 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 last Ghibli movie I saw before this, besides Porco Rosso, because I watched that like every month, uh, was uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. Mm-hmm. And Kiki's, I'm like, oh, this is cute, but it's way, it's too simple. Like, literally, pretty much nothing happens. And then the whole time I was watching this, I'm like, God, take me back to Kiki. <laughs> I'd much rather have over simple than over complicated. Kiki and Hal have done a uh, kind of switcheroo on me, where I originally liked Hal's Moving Castle more when I watched it when I was younger. And I didn't like Kiki, and then they've switched. I find Kiki Kiki's is just cute, a more enjoyable experience going back to it. But they do have that 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 uh, connective tissue of side characters that I love more than the main character. That being Billy Crystal's Calcifer, and then Phil Hartman's Cat. <laughs> I do quite enjoy those characters. The the music in Howl's Moving Castle, as always. Oh yeah, the the composer, which. I never know how to pronounce his name. I always feel like I'm fucking it up because it's his first name's Joe, but he's Japanese. So I want to say Joy, Joe. 
So I apologize. I will learn that for our next Miyazaki discussion. But his work on Howl's Moving Castle, I think, carries the film for the most part for me. It's that nice. That's probably why I like it, is that his, his music is always just so calming and nostalgic. And his theme for this film is just great. It's one of the top tier uh, Miyazaki themes. You know, that's the thing. That's when I was really excited to watch it, is at the beginning when Howl meets Sophie. And, you know, they're doing the walking through the sky and then the music mm-hmm. is lovely. And then you can see all the detail of this world. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, this is going to be fun. And then that was the last time I experienced joy. <laughs> and then the, the end credit song. I really like. It's nice and calming. I know we, we didn't we haven't really marked a spoiler ish thing for this discussion because I feel like we've just been all over the place. But there yeah. is one specific element I want to address, which is kind of a spoiler. So I'm going to say right now, spoiler. Uh, the, the 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 icing on the stupid cake was the fucking scarecrow, <laughs> which I loved the scarecrow the whole time. I thought it was fun, and then Sophie kisses him, and then you're like, "Oh, my true love!" And I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> it's Sophie? here's the thing: the film, like, there are little things that so little that would have made the film better. Just leave him as a fucking scarecrow, please. He doesn't need to be a prince. Like, have that. Like, who cares? But here's the thing that blows my mind. The more more I think about it. So Scarecrow, kiss from his true love, whatever. It solves his curse. He started following Sophie around as an old woman. <laughs> so I guess he was initially into the old lady. And then he realized that she was like a younger woman. It's the dumbest movie that I would watch again. How's Moving Castle, ladies and gentlemen? I think a lot of people love this film because of the they, they, they're into the romance whatever that means but it's it's not for me i just want to say i did also this is another movie i was so confident in i bought the steel book oh look at 22 dollars i'll this. take it <sighs> i like it enough i do recommend it for people who like miyazaki i think there is at least something to get out of this i'm not i don't think it's a bad film as i said no, it's I enjoy not, it. it's not a bad it's not a bad movie it's just dumb and some people are dumb and some people might enjoy it I liked it fine. It was not worth $22, but it was fine. Well, after what Miyazaki's have you not seen so far? I have not seen... Because I was unsure. That's why I didn't suggest something else. I have not seen Castle in the Sky. Mark Hamill's in that one. Is he really? I I think I got this one mixed up with Castle in the Sky. Because Castle in the Sky is one I wanted to see. I have not seen Ponyo. I don't really want to. Ponyo, Ponyo, little fishy <laughs> in the sea. I really want to see Nasca in the Valley of the Wind. I think that's it. You still got good ones left. Like this is, you've hit, I can guarantee you, you've hit the low point. This is the low point? Yeah. Okay. Even Ponyo. Ponyo is just a kid who finds a goldfish. It's just Little Mermaid in Japan. Pon- I will say even that what bad. I've seen of Ponyo, it looks cute. And I I can, I'm a little more tolerant of dumb movies if they're cute. Here's the thing with Ponyo. Ponyo is the most explicitly child film that Miyazaki has made. Like the rest of his films are, children watch them, but adults can get just as much out of them as kids can. But Ponyo is almost explicitly like, I'll show it to your, your, your five-year-old and they'll love it. And you'll, you'll be there. You'll just be there. I literally, there's only, yeah, there's only three Miyazakis I haven't seen yet. Oh, well, maybe we'll, we'll talk about them on the podcast. I wouldn't mind. Well, you know, I, I think 
we definitely 100% at some point talk about Porco Rosso. Yeah. Not now because I just watched it. But it's. And at some point, I need you to get, I need you to watch uh, films by the other Ghibli director, Isao Takahata. Is he the guy to Grave of the Fireflies? Grave of the Fireflies and uh, The Tale of Princess Kaguya, which is my other favorite Ghibli film that you haven't seen. That would be an amazing double feature of Grave of the Fireflies and Come and See, but I don't think I can handle that. That sounds horrible. You would need to space that out against. Oh, he did My Neighbor is the Yamadas. Mm-hmm. That's a good one, too. He's the he's the the experimental Ghibli director. Oh. They're very different. Both of them. Very different oh, he, sensibilities. He did Pom, Pom Poco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know about that one where the the they're not raccoons, but they're like raccoons and they use they're, their ball uh, sacks. Yeah, they use their ball sacks to transform into uh, disguise themselves. It's oh no. <laughs> Who did um Return of the Cat or whatever the fuck that one is? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. The Cat Returns. Uh, Cat Returns. It's Ghibli though, isn't it? Yes. It's here. Hiroyuki Mori Morita. Hiroyuki Morita. Interesting. That and Whisper of the Heart. It's a, it's a sequel to Whisper of the Heart, but not really. It's a spinoff. That's okay. That's what, yeah, that's a better way of saying it. Well, the entire filmography of Ghibli is worth exploring beyond just Miyazaki. Okay. 